This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. Doing a summary of Joker's discussion chapter that we had last fortnight on the razor's edge for those of you who were here and for those of you who are not here, it would be a nice just to catch up. Um, how are you all enjoying uh, uh, reading Joker's chapters? It's good. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's always nice to return and review these things and even for me I've been <laughs> reading her for so many years and every now and again I see something new and different which I hadn't got before. I think though it's important to remind ourselves that Joko is not a psychotherapist so you know when she talks in the razor's edge and she does talk a lot about practicing with emotions she's talking about Zen practice with emotions um, it's always important to bear that in mind she's really talking about Zen practice uh, sometimes in therapy we might do it a little bit differently uh, you know, as a, whether, if a therapist is working with someone there might be a lot of more empathy and validation of various emotional states one is going through so in the chapter on the razor's edge when Joko's talking again it's just it's not necessarily therapy it's, it's, it's Zen practice in fact she talks about the razor's edge as being about Zen practice so the razor's edge is a metaphor of Zen practice the chapter starts with um, uh, I'll, I'll be introducing some concepts that you're very familiar with so self-centeredness um, uh, we can understand the self-centered self as the as the activity of, of control or the project of control or resistance and it's often as you know you'd be very familiar with the ego self is often always thinking in terms of the future as to some place it needs to get to or some place we need to, to go uh, in order to be secure or to be happy or to achieve some kind of goal so the, the self-centered self is really just the activity of, of, of seeking protection of, of seeking uh, controlling this world that we can't really control in order to avoid emotional pain of one kind or another and there's no, uh, when we speak of the self-centered self in, in ordinary mind practice it's not, we're not making any uh, good or bad evaluations we're not saying it's a bad thing, we're not saying it's any, you, know, you have to get rid of it just, it's just a, in, in many ways the, the self-centered activity uh, 
is, is probably wired into our evolution. It's just probably the way in which uh, it's an expression of what the body you know, does to try and protect itself and keep safe. So, um, you know, in some ways, uh, in some ways, the Zen practice is going against, going against that. Well, you could say in some ways it's going against that evolutionary drain, but in another way you might say it's building on the, the other side of evolution, which is the capacity for attachment and, and empathy and, and compassion, which arises from that as well, because that, that's also maybe part of our evolutionary inheritance. And then she uses the concept called embeddedness. That's a nice concept, embeddedness. I like that one. It's not like this sense of being embedded in life. Um, whereas the self-centered activity is that sense of separating out from life, being separate. Zen practice is about experiencing our embeddedness in life. And so the very simple practice of just being sensations is an expression of that, just being embedded in life and having no desire to go anywhere else. There's no, just, there's no, when we're fully embedded here and now, the desire to be somewhere else leaves. Gone. As she says, we are just that. We are just that. The breeze on the cheek, the sound of the car going past, the sound of the magpies, the sunlight shining in the room. No problem. When we're fully embedded in life, life just flows. And she says, there is nothing to realize, because when we are life itself, we have no questions about life. It's like life doesn't ask the, the meaning of the question about the meaning of life. Life just is. It doesn't have to ask the question of the meaning of life. Not to say that the meaning of life is not, I'm not trivializing that, you know, from the Remember when we come back to the, the sense of individuality, our usual relative world of us and them, and uh, I think for most of us it's important to have some sense of purpose and meaning in our lives. But from the absolute perspective, from the perspective of life itself, life itself doesn't require any meaning. The, you know, the lilies in the field, they just grow, they don't require any meaning. Um, then she comes back again to talking about how we get thrown out of that embeddedness in our lives. And she talks about threat or hurt. So it's that sense in which when we're threatened or we're hurt in some way, that we get thrown out of our embeddedness in life. It's a little T trauma of some kind and, and uh, we're gone. And we're feeling threatened and we know that because we feel upset or we feel hurt. And then we move straight away into our self-centered protective activity to avoid or to try and get away from that, that feeling of pain. You know, the expression brokenness is often used, my heart is broken, or I feel broken, in the sense in which sometimes if it's a really, really, really painful hurt, that sense of being shattered into many different pieces. And, uh, and of course, the painful event has happened over there, she says. So we've got that duality, the sense of being here and that over there and we're back in the world of duality you know, she, she uses the metaphor of the Garden of Eden so we're banished from that, that unity experience of being in the Garden of Eden and when we feel separate it automatically triggers our self-centered activity the, the desire to try and control and protect ourselves 
we could probably, I don't know, sort of um, uh, generalize from that to say this happens on both an individual level, uh, but also could happen on a family level, tribal level, nation state level, etc. Um, so, what does Joker mean by the razor's edge? She talks about needing to join these broken pieces to become whole again. And, 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 that, and how do we do that? Well, she suggests this by simply experiencing the pain we are trying to avoid. Again, this is in practice. Uh, uh, that might not be an easy thing to do, and she acknowledges that just to experience the pain we are trying to avoid is easier said than done. Um, but this is what she calls walking the razor's edge. And the pain could be jealousy, it could be this some kind of um, depression, could be some kind of um, sadness, could be a fear, could be many different kinds of pain, could be shame. And she says, practice is walking this edge. And we don't want to do this, obviously. We want to try and fix the problem, solve it, get rid of it in some way. We want to use our problem-solving kind of logic to try and Rather than just feel it, you know, uh, you know many, many, uh, many, many uh, women have said to me over the years, uh, the man will come in and try and fix the thing, try and fix it, in the same way as we'll fix a, a broken drain pipe or something. But sometimes these kinds of emotional issues, you can't fix them like that. You just have to feel them. And uh, one of the concepts in ordinary mind Zen that is used a lot is this idea of just experiencing and we can talk about experiencing as being in two steps the first step she talks about is actually just actually becoming aware of the feeling becoming aware of the emotion now one of the problems when in, in psychological theory when we talk about emotion regulation there's two kinds of um, emotion dysregulation there's over dysregulation and under so like some people who are just cut off from their emotions and feelings in order to deal with emotions. Um, some people can just switch off. And they've learned to do that as a, as a means of getting through life when they were younger. For, us, for other people it might be we just get over the top and lose it and get, you know, fly into a rage or, or feel overwhelmed. And that's the, the other side of the coin. Um, so, by increasing our awareness of emotions, that's the first step in starting to regulate them. And it's okay sometimes to name an emotion or name a feeling. Um, so we could actually, uh, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling envious or I'm feeling jealous. Or, so we can label our feelings in the same way as we might label our thoughts. You know, having the thought, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, feeling jealous, feeling uh, hurt. So we need to become aware, that's the first step, becoming aware of what we're, that we're feeling upset. And then um, the second idea is then is, to, is, is um, sometimes in, in, some, um, um, in some therapists it's talked about arriving and leaving. Before we can leave an emotion, we have to arrive at the emotion. You know, people sometimes will say to you, oh, just move on, you know, what, what's wrong with you? 
you can't really move on unless you fully arrive to begin with. Uh, so this, this is the notion of to, to walk the edge is to experience the pain, like to really be in it, to really feel it. To realize that we can then endure it, we can endure the pain, and we can survive it, and we can grow stronger from that. And so we have to arrive at the emotion before we can move on. Once we've actually experienced the emotion and processed it, yeah, we can move on then. Um, and she says, when we are experiencing non-verbally, we are walking the razor's edge. We are the present moment. So walking the razor's edge is what Zen practice is. She says, in fact, the enlightened life is simply being able to walk that edge all the time. Of course, none of us can do that all the time, but we do our best. Because it's very hard. And self-centered activity is the resistance to walking that edge. You know, as I said, you are the flowing or you're resisting the flow. You know, if the flow is a painful sensation, you might not, might not want to be that painful sensation. You might want to go somewhere else. So self-centered activity is that desire to stay separate and to hide behind a defensive or secondary emotion, thought, judgment. She says, by this strategy, we hope to be a separate person who really exists, who is important. We want to hang on to our separateness and our importance. But, but, but when we walk the razor's edge, we are not important. And um, we are no self embedded in life. Um, and this we fear. This is a fear that we have. We have a fear of, of um, being annihilated, of, of being a nobody, of being nothing, uh, in our, in our, generally speaking. But in Zen practice, that's seen as the doorway to liberation. So it's a sense in which we have to fear that fear of nothingness, of being nothing. We have to face that fear, which can liberate us. So she says, even though we have this fear, even though life, we have a fear of being no self, even though no self can be pure joy. So our fear drives us to stay over here in our lonely self-righteousness, she says. And the paradox, only in walking the razor's edge and experiencing the fear directly can we know what it is to have no fear. And uh, so in Joko's teaching, peace is walking the razor's edge. That's how peace is found. And uh, in our Zazen practice, just experiencing the body and the breath moment by moment, we're walking that razor's edge. And how does this fit into enlightenment? Well, she says, walking the razor's edge is, is, it, is itself enlightenment, being able to walk that edge. And she ends the, the chapter with this lovely question. She says, keep the question with you uh, throughout the day. Right now, am I walking the razor's edge?